I'm reading from one portion of scripture in Genesis chapter 6. I'll do my best to preach the word and believe God that he'll fill in every missing part. It is a mystery that God would use fallible men and women to deliver his infinite and fallible word. That through the finite mind of men and women, an eternal word can be spoken. It's nothing less than a mystery and the grace of God. I purport nothing but Jesus Christ. I know no one but Jesus Christ and Him crucified. All of my cumulative knowledge and study is laid to waste at the feet of His anointed Word and the Spirit that leads us here in this house. Amen. Genesis chapter 6, verse 8. Just a short verse. But Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Let's say it five times and memorize it. There'll be a quiz at the end of the service. I've struggled with my title here, so now I've decided as I stepped up here to rearrange my title. So I'll give you a question. What moves you? That's what I'm going to preach. But if you don't like that one, then I'm preaching expository of Noah. And that sounds so much more professional. So let's go with the second one. I'm well rested. Which could possibly be a dangerous thing for you tonight. Amen. I want to thank Brother Barber preached a wonderful word of God today. Everybody said in Jesus' name. Now put your Bibles down. Now we're going to pray that our hearts would all be receptive to the word of the Lord. So would you lift up your hands and your hearts and your voice to God and just say, Lord, fill me. I receive your word even before it is delivered in my life. I thank you for it, Jesus. I thank you for your word. I receive it with all readiness of mind. Right now, in the name of Jesus, I, I push back on every thought that is contrary to your word, everything that clouds our judgment and our attention. I pray it in the name of Jesus. Let the word of the Lord speak to our lives. In Jesus' name. Now clap your hands and shout to God. He's a great God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah, Jesus. Hallelujah, Jesus. Amen. I thank you. you may be seated. In a short essay... both in research and in the magazine, Inc. The writer will depict the challenges of business 
He writes about trends and fads, which he calls relevancy. His pursuit is to assist the marketplace with ideas to keep companies relevant, up to date. While there are many who seek him, only a few companies can afford his services. We do know that we are living in a constant state of flux. So that nothing is ever truly secure or sure. That's why the trending market has so many people clamoring to assist. There are many jobs that attend to it. Clothing styles have started to mesh together. In the 1920s, everyone wore very similar clothing. And even before that, in the 30s, there was a small mixture of holdover In the 1950s, the trends started to change a little bit. In the 1960s, there was a a conflict in it. The sexual revolution brought about new clothing that depicted a thought, perhaps even a disposition. In the 1970s, Men could wear platform shoes (laughs) because John Travolta had made it culturally cachet. (sighs) We could have been multiple inches taller, but that went away. Now the clothing styles have collided with past decades and trends now come and they go very quickly so that it's difficult to know if you're in fashion or you're out. I have a conference I'd like to start called Behind the Times. (laughs) According to bizarre fashion design, there are yearly, quarterly, and even monthly predictions about what people will be wearing Most of it is a throwback or a combination of former styles. This year was called Mad for Plaid. It was supposed to be the 2019 big trend. I haven't noticed. Trend trench coats are in this year and fringes and fanny packs. Of which my children have made fun of me for many years on vacations as I wore my fanny pack. They wanted me to get rid of it. But now we walked through the fancy fashion mall and found out that there's Fendi and Gucci fanny packs and Louis Vuitton fanny packs. And mine are none of those, but it is a fanny pack. I kept mine and now it's back in style. This is not really my sermon, but if, I, if you could just take this away. Keep your stuff. Maybe you'll be in tomorrow. I know some of you are waiting for it to come back. Just hold on to it. <laughs> Relevancy. Churches, in fact, not just congregations, but organizations. Church organizations are seeking to be relevant. Individual churches 
the clamoring of bookstores where people are writing about how to stay that. They are constantly asking these questions. The church world is seeking to stay on top of the needs and wants of the next generation and their whims and even their thoughts. It's become so challenging that the greatest religious, religious world has followed the evolution of current culture. One church consultant encourages pastors to relaunch their church at least every five years with a new logo and new additions, maybe a new name change, ministry overhaul. He, he's not alone. He has many followers who espouse current color schemes and service times and music developments every five years at least. His proposal is to stay ahead of the curve. He says, and I quote, if you want to keep the attention of this generation, you have to constantly present a new look at an old book. Uh, but I'm looking at Noah. I'm finding him to be out of touch with the people of his day. I'm looking at Noah and I'm seeing him removed from the trends of his own generations. It's obvious that Noah did not relate to the people around him. How often have we narrowed the image of this man to a bedtime story or a children's Sunday school book? He's more than a cartoon character surrounded by animals and a smooth planked boat with a giraffe sticking his head out from the side. Noah was a preacher. We're not really sure how long it took to build the ark. Some report 40 years, while others speak of over 100 years. But it is amazing that almost all of his life, in fact, stunningly, that only the last few days of his years of building and preaching are the focus of his life. It only took seven days, according to the Bible, for Noah to gather all the animals of kinds and place them into that boat. But we see him only there, bringing two by two unclean animals and seven pairs of clean animals. But that was only a speck of time compared to the decades that he spent preparing and building and indeed preaching. Noah has been trapped in an ark full of animals for thousands of years. He's been trapped among million glue sticks and storybooks. But take a closer look, you'll find the absence of relevancy in his life that afflicts our generation. Close the color books and you'll see what faith really looks like. Faith is often lonely. Faith is often isolated. And it's full of obedience. I know what my mind goes to. It's a long plank with all kinds of plodding animal, animals lumbering into an open hatch where, where Noah is standing as a one-man welcoming committee. But that was a mere moment. His casting is far greater than the single canvas upon which that is displayed. Before a single sheep or a wolf was given entry, before the fowl or slithering snake was assigned access, there was a thought from heaven, and I quote, God saw the wickedness of man, and it was great in the earth, and everyone had an evil imagination. Thoughts of his heart was only evil continually, and it repented the Lord, that he even made man, grieved God in his heart. The Lord said, I'll destroy man whom I have created from the face of the earth, both man and beast and the creeping thing and the fowl of the air. For it repenteth me that I have made them. 
But here is the pivot point, perhaps, of the whole world. We read it in our text. But Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. The world was drowning in sin long before they were consumed by the flood. And we know that God is a just God. He's not willing that any should perish. He's never changed. He's not changed. He's the same. So if there would ever have been, there, so had there been more than one, had there been another, the Bible would have told us so. But only Noah found grace. And the Bible says, these are the generations of Noah. Noah was a just man and perfect in his generations. And Noah walked with God. Noah is greater than a Bible character cast into the writer's narrative of colorful schemes, plastic toys. He's the standalone man, irrelevant to his own generation. So before all these other things, there's a call from God and a command to build and design to save Noah and his family and anyone else who might believe. Before there were plastic toys with birds and goats and cows and horses, there are a thousand days of gathering gopher wood. There's a place of clearing and cutting and erecting a frame. We see him at the conclusion of a very long stance at his own wooden pulpit. Noah found grace and that one word afforded him a deliverance by his own hands. Noah received plans from the divine architect. And as he built, Noah spoke of it. Noah preached of a flood that had never been seen. His message was one of obscurity with no proof and no history. There was nothing that Moses could point back to and relate to his current message. There was no connection. There was no connecting point. And while his world was wallowing in sin, perversions, and corruptions... Noah stood out like a strange man, an out-of-place spectacle. Have you ever felt out of place? That's what Moses felt like. Moses felt like he was out of place. In fact, Moses left Egypt and then wandered in the wilderness for 40 years. He felt out of place leading these people. Even Moses named his son Gershom, he said. Gershom, which means I've been a stranger, I am a stranger in a strange land. Moses wanted to remind himself on a daily basis, I don't belong here. The wilderness is not my destination. I'm a stranger here. I don't belong with these faithless, unbelieving people. This is not the man I'm supposed to be. I'm a stranger here. And I rise to tell you, you ought to say to yourself, I'm never going to allow myself to get comfortable here. You ought to have something in your life that reminds you, you're a stranger And if you're not, it's time for you to become a stranger to this place, this land. Blending in was never the plan of God. Hear me, everyone who has ears to hear this. You are a called out people. You are a separated people. But you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. You are a peculiar people that you should show forth the praises of him who have called you out of darkness into this marvelous light. And no one can shine as long as they are covered up by the blend. Maybe I ought to say it this way. Blend in long enough and you'll lose your shine. Gershom is not a popular subject. And I wonder if it's because so many people are trying to be compatible with the world. The church is trying to be compatible with the world so as not to be noticed. Rather than seek for a holy God and be a chosen generation that God called unto me. I just want to rise up and say to you, it's time for you to be noticed and stick out like a sore thumb. It's time for you to be noticed and know I'm not part of this world. And you ought to say, I'm a stranger here. 
wherever you go people ought to know there's something different about you wherever you travel wherever you work there ought to be something different about you they ought to scratch their head when you walk by they ought to say i can't put my finger on it but i know they are not like everybody else i gotta tell somebody i'm not trying to find a way in i'm trying to find a way out I'm not trying to blend in with the world. I'm trying to get out of the world. I'm not trying to make new life blending in with all the other ecumenical and evangelical churches. I'm trying to find a way for us to get out of here. If you're looking for something culturally cachet, if you're looking for something that's relevant, I promise you, you have come to the wrong house. It's not just me, although I know I'm a throwback. It's not just me, although I know I've always been a lot older than my age. But I go back to the word of God and say, we are a peculiar people. We are a called out people. If you believe that, you ought to clap your hands unto the Lord. If you believe that, you ought to shout with the voice of... If you believe that, you ought to make yourself known. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. I'll tell you what the Pentecostals used to have. We used to have fire in our bones. We used to have shouting in our feet. We used to have dancing in our step. Come on, you are not called to be a normal, a normal person in this world. You're called to be a godly, a royal priesthood. When was the last time somebody told you at work, I've noticed that you don't cuss when you get mad. I noticed that when other people are cussing around you, you get bothered. When was the last time when somebody took the Lord's name in vain? You just scowled and said, that ain't right. That ain't right. Why? I'll tell you why we're not saying it. Because we're afraid to be noticed. Hear me. You ought to be happy that you're not in the world. You ought to have something in your life called Gershom. I'm a stranger. Noah had three sons and they were all married and he had his wife and that's it. Eight people and together they will build a boat to save their family. Now Peter is going to give a type, a capital T type, that water saved Noah just like baptism saves us. The ark did not Save Noah from the world. The water saved Noah from the world. Just like baptism saves us. First Peter chapter 3. Read it in your Bible. But the ark is a type also. It's a type of the church. The ark. And Noah was building something to save his family. Decades of gathering wood. Years of cutting the right boards. All the fastening of it together. All that labor-intensive work, nothing came easy for him. No one offered a hand. And I know that's true. Because if you're going to be saved in this world, it's going to take work. And I just lost half of you right there. You were hoping for a cafe mocha at the, at the cafe after church for coming to church. 
Listen, I'll give you a gold star if it'll help you. We do pass those out to the two and three year old class. It's going to work if you're going to be saved. You're going to have to give up things you like. No, you don't. I'm, I'm, I'm going to preach this word. You have to give up things you think is okay for you, but it's really tearing you out. Sluggards are going to die. <laughs> well, I'm in the book. You know, I kind of set you up and then quote the scripture. Solomon wrote it, Proverbs 26. The sloth man saith, there is a lion in the way. A lion is in the streets. And then he adds for emphasis. As the door turneth upon its hinges, so doth the slothful man his bed. The slothful, the lazy man, the person who thinks it is someone else's responsibility to save him. He stands in the street. He knows there's a lion in the way. He even declares it with his own mouth. There's a lion, but there's no reference that he runs towards safety. Like a door that's contingent upon the hinge. He's attached to his lazy bed. He won't get out. But that's not Noah. That's not the family who's seeking out their own salvation with fear and trembling. Working every day to do more for the kingdom. Saying, hey, we got to get up. We got to go. We got to run this race. We got to fight the good fight of faith. Noah is committed. He's driven. It's difficult to see it. If you only look at the Bible's introduction of him, you have to look at Hebrews' description. And here it is. By faith, Hebrews 11. By faith, being warned of God of things not seen as yet. Move with fear. Prepared an ark to the saving of his house by the which he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness which is by faith. Now, I hope you can see it. Noah was moved by godly fear. Perhaps this is the right time to ask, what moves you? And where did godly fear go? I want to know, where did godly fear go? Why have the things of God become so dumbed down that we treat them like small throwaway plastic cups? I want to stand here and tell you, something is coming. Something that we have never seen before, it's coming. It's a flood of substance that has no relatable attributes. I can't even describe it to you. Even with my best description, there are no words to describe what's coming in the last day. Godly fear moved one man to reject every possible relationship of life and every other thought. Noah was moved by fear. Godly fear. And I say that it's much easier to obey God when all the people are around you. But stand alone. Do something so out of bounds that nobody's going to join you. And, and I'm going to tell you, now that takes real faith. See, faith is not just about believing for the impossible. Though that is part of it. Faith is also having hands full of obedience to a cause without description. It's embracing the word of God and being moved by godly fear. Let me tell you about a hundred years of the life of Noah before the flood. He's standing alone. Whatever friends he might have had are now gone. There are no references to his extended family. No brothers or sisters. No father or mother. No, no cousins. And yet he's preaching a warning over and over again. His voice and his actions are filled with warnings to those who think that the church is a bunch of religious brainwashed people. Preparation 
always looks and sounds like judgmentalism. But Noah warned the people. He's a broken record. He has one sermon. You talk about redundancy. <laughs> like a couple of my friends used to say, we have a league of redundancy league. <laughs> we repeat everything, say it twice. <laughs> Never mind. <laughs> or a trio of three. <sighs> yeah. He's so redundant. I wonder what would happen in this house if there was only one sermon that you heard every Sunday. What if all of us who have been called and commissioned to preach and teach only spoke about the rapture? What would happen if every Sunday was about heaven and hell and mostly about hell? What if all the bulletins featured a warning, pictures of some painted or imagined antichrist or the four-headed leopard or the ten-head-horned kingdom that Daniel saw? How many would continue to come to church if the only subject was this? Jesus is coming! The end is near. It would get redundant. Noah was clearly a gloom and doom preacher. For all of you who denounce and decry gloom and doom preachers, well, let me tell you, Noah was the epitome of doom and gloom. But he built an ark to the saving of his family while the world was rushing by with excuses and reasons why they didn't need his type of religion He was putting another board on the side of that saving boat. All of it seemed to be nonsense as Noah drifted farther and farther away from relevancy. All the pounding and the crying and those endless days, long nights of gathering more materials until the sun went down. God told Noah to fill the crevices of that boat with pitch. It was a black gooey tar. And God said to put the pitch inside and out. Seal it up. Make sure there's no way that the water can get inside. Think of it. The tar might have stained his hands, but the cause filled them. Stained with the work of the church looks odd to the world, but those are the mark, the marks of godly fear. Commitment to the things of God might look overdone to the world. Why come to church on Wednesday or Sunday night? Why go to church at all or give in an offering or give in tithing or worship exuberantly? Why spend all that energy? But I'm not trying to blend in here tonight. I don't care about what the world thinks about the church. I care about getting out of this world. And I care about preaching the gospel to the world. Even if it's redundant. Hear me. The gospel, the keys to the kingdom of heaven. Jesus gave it to Peter. You must be born again of the water and of the spirit. Jesus said it. Jesus said, you must be born again of the water and of the spirit. Don't marvel. No one's going to get there but by the water and the spirit. And he gave Peter the keys to the kingdom and the gospel. And Paul reiterated. He said, I want to remind you of the gospel which I preached to you. How Jesus died. How he rose again. How he died. He was buried and he rose again. And Peter preached the gospel. The death, the burial, and the resurrection. And he preached it on the day of Pentecost when the church was born. 
that the first church heard repentance and baptism in Jesus name and the infilling of the Holy Ghost and it might sound redundant to you but if it's not redundant to you thank God that you can hear it for the first time I just gotta say it over and over and over again because the Lord is coming he's coming for everybody born of the water and the spirit and let me just tell you it's good to be in this house too we'll talk about your own home and your own family and your own life but it's good to work around the church stain your hands with the work of the church they'll also be filled with the cause serve there's only three ways I know that people are a part of the church they come they give and they serve that's it the only way we even know who has an address is if they fill out a tithing report and put in the offering. How could it be that people could attend our church, this church, call it their church for years, but there's no record of their address? I'll tell you how. They never gave anything to the house they called their place of worship. I know. It's odd. That's not what I've read in the books to tell me how I should preach and reach my generation, the millennial generation, the X, Y, the Z, and whoever is next after that. Maybe the new generation of the babies that we just showed off today, maybe they're the pie generation. Noah is odd. He never looks rational while he's building. He looks out of date and out of sync. He'll appear wasteful. Wasteful. Why are you using all that gopher wood? Wasteful. So happens that the gopher wood seals up very nicely. And it floats very well. Some man on a tangent with no real purpose. He's so peculiar in every way. He's preaching. And his preaching is old and wore out. His messages make no sense to the logical mind. A flood and a rain. A worldwide flood and a rain is not in their vocabulary. They have no reference point which makes him a madman. But there's a flood coming. Hear, hear me. There's a flood coming. So while you play the game of church, you cruise in and out. You have a little party on Friday night, but you show up to do a little function or come to sit in this house. I want to tell you tonight, a flood is coming. A worldwide catastrophic flood is going to change the whole course of the world. So I say tonight, come. Get inside. Come. Get inside. Come. Now's the time. The years go by, but there's no reply, which makes me know that the removal of godly fear, the fear of the Lord, when that is removed, there is no rescue or hope. You see, it was the 600th year of Noah's life in the second month on the 17th day of the month that it happened. All the underground springs, the Bible says, erupted and all the windows of heaven were thrown open. Rain poured down 40 days and nights. That's the day that Noah, the Bible says, his sons, Shem, Ham, Japheth, accompanied by his wife and his son's wives, boarded the ship. And with them every kind of wild and domestic animal. Right down to all the kinds of creatures that crawl. And all the kinds of birds. Anything that flies. They came to Noah and to the ship in pairs. Everything and anything that could breathe of life in it. Male and female of every creature. Came just as God had commanded Noah. Then God, the Bible says, shut the door behind him. 
The flood continued 40 days. The waters rose. It lifted the ship higher over the earth. The waters kept rising. The flood deepened on the earth. The ship floated on the surface. The flood got worse until all the highest mountains were covered. The high water mark reached 20 feet above the crest of the mountains. Everything died. Anything that moved was dead. Birds, farm animals, wild animals, the entire team in exuberance of life dead. All the people dead. Every living, breathing creature that lived on the, on the dry land died. God wiped out all the works, people and animals, crawling creatures and flying birds. Every last one of them gone. Only Noah and his company on the ship lived. The flood waters overtook for 150 days. And God closed the door and suddenly the whole world changed. The rising waters caused a panic. The faint memory of a ranting Noah behind his gopher wood pulpit began to echo in their ears. They remembered it. Underground rivers exploded like volcanoes. Water poured out of the sky like buckets, massive buckets, the likes of which no one had ever seen. The earth shook so violently that we suppose the tectonic plates shifted. The face of the planet will forever change by the flood. Water will overflow the land. Chaos ensues in every corner of every region of every place on the planet. The people ran. They ran. They ran. But there are no shelters to keep them dry enough. Their houses are flooded. No houses are high enough. No buildings that they built are strong enough. There are no roof lines they can stand upon or atop that will keep them from the waters. There are no hills to keep them safe. They ran. Those who could, they went to the high places, the highest of high places. They climbed trees, but those trees are swept away. The gullies are all filled up. Flash flooding swept many of them away. Trees toppled like toothpicks and boulders are displaced like small grains of sand. An explosion of water from above and beneath beat out a devastating path. They are overcome, all of them. The earth is overturned in a blink, like a blanket on a freshly made bed. It's flipped. A massive spill-off will carve out the deep as a pass. One of them, perhaps we know, as the Grand Canyon. People are crying, but there is no place to turn. Perhaps some of them, maybe many, run to the ark because they're nearby. But the waters keep rising. The blowing rains mask their cries. They're pounding on the side of that great boat. They lifted their prized possessions above their heads, even their children. But God has closed the door, and the time has now ended. Godly fear never made its way into their hearts, and they never made it into the ark. One always precedes the other. Godly fear first, and then getting inside. And they're pounding there, they're pounding. Noah, please let us in. Noah, please let us in. And their hands are pressed against that gooey jar, and they're pulling it off, and they can't barely beat against the sound of their voices are drowned by the beating down of the rains and the waters are now covering their feet and it's creeping up against their ankles and now it's above their knees and they know there's an impending death please let us in please let us in I stand here not to offer a new look at an old book. I stand here to offer the same call of everybody who came before me. I'm not special. I just want to call out to somebody. Jesus is coming. And the clock is ticking. And the door is almost closed. And I say, run toward commitment. Race toward relationship with Jesus Christ. 
Stop trying to blend in with the world. Who cares what people think about you and your walk with God? You'll never really be accepted anyway. You can't be part in the church and part in the world. You'll feel bad in both places. You know you're not right when you come to church and you know nobody really cares about you in the world. You might as well jump in with both feet. Stop asking questions like, well, is this going to send me to hell? Is this a heaven or hell issue? I'm going to tell you, if you get down to that low level, that lowest common dumb denominator, you've already lost the battle. You should, you should always say, is this going to help me get closer to God? I want to do that. I got to do this. I got to do more. I got to get closer. I got to get inside. I got to get inside. I got to get my family inside. I can't believe I've, I can't believe Tammy and I have counseled so many couples. I can't believe we've counseled so many couples. I'm shocked at how many people over the years, almost 20 years of counseling, we don't always know what to say. But I do know that people are in trouble when they turn to their spouse and they say, well, I wonder if I do that, are you going to divorce me? If I do this, are you going to divorce me? It's always a contingency. It's always the extreme. That's not a loving relationship. Well, if I do that, are you going to kick me out? Are you going to kick me out? I'm going to tell you what. If you ever get down to that question, you're already far from the ark of safety. You should be saying, I'm going to do everything I can and more. I'm going to get as close as I can. And then you look around your life and you give something in your life a name and you call it Gershom. I don't belong here. I'm a stranger here. You look at the world. You love the people, but you hate the sin. You love the sinner, but you hate the actions. And you see the actions and you say, I don't belong here. I'm a stranger here. And you shed, here pastor, and you shed every so-called friend who tries to lead you away from the church. Get rid of them. It'd be better for you to be friendless and be a friend of God only than to be accepted by many and God doesn't even know your name. Hear me. People who lead you away from the church, they're always around. They'll weigh you down. They'll put weights around your feet, your ankles, your your shoulders, they'll drag you. They'll keep you suppressed. Get rid of those who divide you and reach for commitment. Reach for people who join with you in prayer and build something that will save not only you, but your family. Hear me, this is the church. Seal it with truth. Sanctify it, hear pastor, with holiness. Inside and out. And be moved with godly fear. This is one of my earliest memory, memories, Scotty. One of my boys told me that they read that your earliest memories could be, could be as early as three, but it's usually at four years old. This is one of my earliest memories. We're at Brother Gwen's church. Remember the, 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 the brick altar area there. And I looked up, and there's Brother Walter Gwen standing. He was a tall man anyway. And of course... <clears throat> I was not nearly as tall. 
And I probably was four. And I looked at him. And he made me nervous. Because I knew he was a great man of God. Every once in a while, even in my mind, I'll think of him and I catch my breath. My shoulders shake a little bit at the memory of that great, powerful preacher, great teacher. I'm concerned that we've lost all respect until finally even the most precious things of God invoke no fear in our lives. See, when you're moved by fear, you'll do things you don't normally do. Yeah, yeah. When you're moved by fear and one of your loved ones falls into a, 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 a pond as one man spoke of and it was ice but his young child fell through, he didn't consider how thick the ice was but the story says he ran out and dove He slid halfway until the ice broke underneath him also. And he went down to gather his child who would surely die within two minutes of hypothermia and never recover. And he said, I was so full of fear that my child would die that I didn't consider my own safety. I'll tell you what. I'd like to get involved, but I don't know how this is going to make me look. I'd like to come to church, but you know, people call me a fanatic. I'd like to worship, but you know what? That's for other people to do. I'm going to tell you right now, you ought to lose yourself. We got so much self, we forgot. I'm going to tell you, build the ark, build the ark, build the ark. There is something coming. Something's coming. Something's coming. Jesus is coming. The world is going to change. Everything's going to change. It'd be good for you to be moved by fear. Have a little fear. God's coming back. Whatever it takes. Whatever it takes. I'm not trying to make you scared. But I'm trying to arrest your senses. I'm not trying to make you fearful. But I'm trying to get some godly fear into your lives. Because I'm afraid. People are more scared of getting pulled over by the police. Come on. Am I the only person I just drove 20 hours? Passed him by, here's, oh, oh, no, oh, Lord, oh, please, Lord, I'll never do it again, I'll never do it again, I'll never, I'll never do it again, I'm slowing down, I'm, look, Lord, I'm, I'm already 10 miles under the speed limit, oh, Jesus, oh, I'll give my life, I'll, t- I'll sacrifice my firstborn son, Lord, just don't let me, don't let me, get, he's best, I knew that guy should have been speeding, I knew he shouldn't have been speeding, ha ha, I told you not to go that fast. We're more concerned about being pulled over and getting a ticket than we are about being saved. I tell you, you ought to get to the house of God. You ought to pray every day. You ought to build everything you can. You ought to get out of this world. You ought to say to yourself, I'm a stranger. I don't belong here. Come on. And look at your life. Go down deep inside. Here, pastor. Go down deep inside of your heart and seal it up with truth and holiness. And pursue it on the outside. And pursue it on the outside. Put that, put that sealer on the inside and on the outside because that matters to God. Okay, let's just argue. Just come on, let's just argue. Just argue right, my, right now in your mind. Argue with me because I know some of you are arguing right now and you're saying, well, it really doesn't matter. Really? Are you going to take that chance? 
Are you going to take the chance that holiness doesn't matter? Are you going to take the, hear me, all of you who think you're saving money by not giving in the tithing. Are you going to really take your chance on your eternal salvation because you think that maybe it won't matter to God? I'm just going to preach like I'm a pastor. I'm going to preach. I'm going to preach like I got the Holy Ghost and I got fire. I can't just keep it inside. It's like I'm like Jeremiah. It's like fire shut up in my bones. I'm weary. I got to tell you something. You got to get on fire. You got to get in the church. You got to build something that will save your family. Come on, I'm calling every apostolic, every Pentecostal. If you don't know what that is, I'm calling every spirit-filled person. I'm calling every believer. I'm calling every dedicated heart. I'm calling every born again. I'm calling every believer. Rise up right now and lift up your voice and shout out to God. what happened to us but we were so willing we just said something got a hold of me like the songwriter said I, I went to a meeting one night and my heart wasn't right but something couldn't describe it. I really don't know what you I didn't understand it all but I knew I gotta get right with God. I gotta get right with God. I got a lot of family doesn't love God. I got a lot of friends that are trying to drag me away but something got a hold of me. Something got a hold of me and it changed me and it rearranged me and it saved me and it restored me and it lifted me up and it pulled me out. Hey! You ought to say something's got to get a hold of me. all you smart people out there you're never going to figure this out you won't have the intellectual prowess to figure it out because it's a draw of the Holy Spirit and you're not going to know until you get to the other side hey nobody in here even knows how powerful and wonderful and worthwhile the value of the church you won't even know how valuable this is until the trumpet sounds in a blinking of an eye a twinkling just blink your eye just count 1,000 no you didn't get it and the rapture comes and we're caught away and then you're going to understand wow Sunday night last Sunday night of March the most valuable worthwhile moment of my life I couldn't describe it but something got a hold of me it was the Holy Ghost it was it was a spirit thing that got a hold of me I, 
I went to my home and I start throwing things away. I, I looked at my calendar and said, nope, I'm not going to do that. No, I'm not going there. I got church that night. I got Wednesday night Bible study that night. I got Sunday night. Oh, I'm preaching now to you. I'm going to tell you right now, it's time to get in. You ought to get in right now while you can. The door is open. But when the door shuts, see, God knows how to open doors that no man can shut. He knows how to close doors that no man can open. You can't force your way in after the trumpets call.